Praise the Lord, everybody. We greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Christian Life Broadcast, a ministry of Christian Life Center right here in beautiful Palm Coast, Florida. The weather changed last night. It was kind of humid yesterday, but man, a little bit drizzly and cool this morning. We got some cool weather. I think the high today is going to be 66 degrees. That's why we live in Florida, folks. It feels so good. And uh, we had an incredible time last night. We did our Hallelujah Night, and the church just pulled together so many people out there with their trunks and the decorations. Of course, we'll be posting pictures and highlights from it, but the church, were, were, they just got behind this, and, and uh, the community showed up. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people walk through here, and we had a blast. And um, we're so thankful for the privilege to serve our community. And we want to testify that the Christian life is the best life. It's the best life you can possibly live. When you line up with the word of God and live it how Jesus says to live it, it's just the most incredible life you can live. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. And we can testify that that is a true statement from the Lord. And I want to get into some stuff today. I think will be a blessing to you, um, some concepts that will help you in your walk with God and prepare you for what is coming in your walk with God as you continue your journey with Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that the Bible is our manual for how to live. It teaches us how to live. There's no human alive that has the intuition, the insight, the spiritual perception to discover the correct way on their own. The Bible is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It shows us where we are and it shows us where to go. And God has given us examples from the lives of people in scripture for a pattern to follow, to teach us, this is what you should do and you'll get blessed. This is what you should not do. There's some repercussions here. And um, I want to talk about one of those individuals. David is, is probably my favorite character in Scripture. He, is, um, he has written more about, more stuff is written about David, quoted from David in the New Testament and, than any other writer. And uh, Psalms is the, is the longest book in the Bible, a book of, of songs. Some of them were not written by David, but many of them were, most of them were. And his life is just an incredible life uh, to follow and to see how God ordains a life and causes that life to develop from obscurity to the throne. So we're going to talk about that. And I want to highlight seven particular battles that David fought, seven particular battles. And these seven battles, I believe every Christian will have to fight and you'll have to win if you follow Jesus Christ and God is in charge of your journey. So I want to read First uh, Samuel chapter sixteen and verse ten. It said, "Now this is after Samuel had come to uh, ask Jesse to bring his sons before him. One of them was going to be king." It says again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, "The Lord hath not chosen these." 
Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, red-complected, and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So this is an interesting story. I, I have three boys, David, Micah, and Benji. You can see how much I like David. I named my firstborn David. But I have three boys. If, if a man of God came to my house and said, one of your boys is going to be the king. I'm going to anoint one of your boys to be the king. I think I would call all three boys into the living room. Jesse had these children. And Samuel said, God's going to pick one of your boys to be the king of Israel. Bring your children. And yet he left David in the field. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, research on this. There's a lot of messages on this. Some, some scholars believe that David was born illegitimately. Um, this is why he wrote, you know, we're born in iniquity, shapen in, in sin. Um, David also wrote, though my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. He's a father to the fatherless. And many people believe, and I, I, I'm one of those people, I'm on that sort of thought process about the life of David that, that Jesse wanted to hide David from the prophet because bringing David before the prophet would reveal a failure in Jesse's life. And so he dismissed him as even being qualified for this moment where God was going to choose one of his sons. And and David, David is the youngest. He keeps the sheep. He's out in the fields. And I, I just sort of have this picture of David, you know, running through the, the tulips, uh, the grass, the dew on the grass. He's got hair everywhere and he's got, he's ruddy. He's kind of red complexed and rosy cheeks and, and he's a good looking kid and he's out there and he's just, you know, he's got his harp. He's using a sheep belly for a pillow and they're all just lounging in the grass together while his other brothers are doing things that really seem important. And, and yet God taught Samuel a lesson because the Bible said Eliab came by. God said, no, I didn't choose him. Abinadab came by. No, I didn't choose him either. Shammah came by. I didn't choose him. And, and each time Samuel is saying, oh man, this has got to be the guy. Look at this kid. This is a, this is a king if I've ever seen a king. And, and God spoke to Samuel and said, no, you're, you're judging by the outward appearance. God doesn't judge by the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. I, I see the outward appearance, but I see deeper than the outward appearance. I see what's happening in the heart. And it's interesting because the firstborn Eliab means God is his father. So he's got the right lineage if you're going to be a king. He's got, man, you look at this guy's background. God is his father. Uh, Abinadab is, is, um, is the same, same sort of scenario. Um, I, I believe it means his father is noble, actually. His father is noble. Shama means strength or astonishment. You look at Shama, you're like, this guy's astonishing. He's going to be the king of Israel. And yet God did not pick 
these men that had these human qualifications. He picked David. Of course, David means beloved or loved. And God chose him in the midst of his brethren and anointed him. So I want to tell you the first battle that you will have to learn to navigate, the first victory you will have to learn. And this, I want to divide the battles of David into two categories, private battles and public battles. Private battles and public battles. And this first battle, this is a season for David. It's a season that sort of encapsulate his first battles. And it's the battle of obscurity. The battle of obscurity. When people are not giving you the recognition you think you deserve, what you gonna do? When your pastor's not calling you to testify, when uh, the ministry director of your church is not... Uh, looking at you and saying, man, you have tons of potential. What, what are you going to do when you're being left out of the picture everybody else is being invited into? I want to tell you, this, this sometimes is not human error. This is the device of Jesus Christ. This is a test from the Lord. How will you handle obscurity? Will you continue to do what is right in private when nobody's watching? When nobody's there patting you on the back saying, oh, go, David, look at you. You're incredible, man. No, as a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite. When the time of promise comes, you're being left out of the picture completely. They're not even considering you as an option for promotion. And so this is a, this is a battle that it's an unspoken battle. It's an extended battle. It's a battle that will cause you to form your identity in private. And, and I want to tell you that battles or identity rather, identity, you look at how God dealt with people. Uh, Israel was formed as a nation in the desert. He brought them out of Egypt, which is the culture, and took them to a place of separation and obscurity, the desert. The Bible says that John the Baptist was in the desert until the day of his showing to Israel. Jesus, Isaiah prophesied of Jesus that he was a tender plant that would grow up in a dry place. So what's going on here? God forms his deep connection to you and establishes his identity with you in a place where he's got you all to himself. In our culture, that is exactly the opposite of what we want, right? We've got what we want. We, we have a, a social media, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have TikTok, we have, I mean, you, you can go down the list of everything that we use to escape obscurity. Because obscurity is the it's it's the it's the most terrible feeling to the flesh. It, you you want to make sure people know your name. I mean, there's people that are doing the craziest, most obnoxious, horrible things to gain attention where their name can be lifted out of obscurity. I want to tell you today, obscurity is 
is the machine that God uses to grind you down for his purpose. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Your, your identity is being formed in secret, not in the city. It's interesting to me that after the disciples, uh, God sent them out two by two. And after they came back and they were talking about all kinds of stuff that they had done and even the devils are subject uh, through, your, through, through the name of Jesus and, and, and the miracles and the signs and the wonders. You can tell, man, they came back. They were hyped up. They were ready to go. Let's do it again. The Bible says Jesus took them aside into a desert place. I want you guys to, I want you guys to get away from everybody right now. I want you to come back out here where it's just, where I have complete influence over your emotions, your thoughts, your focus. I want all of you. I don't want you to be distracted by the city. I don't want you to go celebrate over a lamb chop and, and, and some grape juice and whatever else and let's go party. No, I want, I want you to come to a place of separation with me. And, and I want to tell you once, you, once you recognize the hand of God molding you in obscurity, it is a place you will seek for the rest of your life with Jesus. You will secret. The, the Bible said that Jesus resorted to those places often. He was always going out into the desert. He was That 40-day fast was in his only time on the mountain. That 40-day fast was in his only time in the wilderness. He resorted there continuously, separating himself. Why? Because when you're in obscurity, Jesus has all of you. Now, I want to tell you there's a difference between isolation and obscurity. God, isolation is, is an unhealthy form of obscurity. Isolation is, can be caused through being out of the will of God. God will never isolate you from the body. You, you've got to be connected to the body. There's people that, that don't want to go to a local church because you know God is, they say they just walk with the Lord and they have it on their own and they're isolated. And that's nonsense. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There's a difference between isolation and spiritual obscurity. Spiritual obscurity is nobody knows your name. Spiritual obscurity is nobody knows your potential. Nobody recognizes your talent. Spiritual obscurity is Nobody understands the, the, the vision of the ministry that God has given to you and they just treat you like anybody else. It doesn't mean you're isolated in an unhealthy way from the body. But that is the season that God took David through. His brothers are getting picked. They're big, they're powerful, they're amazing. They got the right name, they got the right background. God said, no, I'm not picking him. I'm picking this kid that's been out there singing to me, devoted to me, walking with me, doing what his daddy said, even though he was seemingly disqualified, that's the kid I'm picking. And that's the kid I'm going to raise up. And so the Bible says God brought him in the midst of his brethren. It still wasn't on a national scale. It wasn't on a public scale. It was just in his family. God raised him up. And you, you can imagine, and we'll learn later, the intense jealousy that erupted between David and his brethren. But God anointed him, the spirit of God came upon him from that day forward. The first battle you're gonna face is the battle of obscurity. And that battle will be a season that will encompass other battles. I wanna talk about the second battle. Second battle. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 34, it says, and David 
said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. I wanna, I wanna talk about this for a second. So you got a lion and a bear and you have these two creatures and yet there's one lamb being taken. And then watch what he says. He goes from the, the plurality of two different creatures, lion and bear, and then he goes singular in verse 35. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he, what's he talking about? The lion and the bear arose against me. I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of, armies of the living God. So I want to talk about this. I, I believe the second battle that you will face, and again, remember, you're still in obscurity here. You're still dealing with this obscurity battle, the season of obscurity. You're going to face the lion. You're going to face the lion. Every believer will have to face the lion in private. You're going to have to face the lion. Your pastor cannot beat the lion for you. Your brother, your sister cannot beat the lion for you. The church cannot beat the lion for you. You will have to face the lion and defeat the lion by yourself with the help of God. This is a private battle. It's, an, it's a battle in obscurity. You'll have to face the lion. Who's the lion? Let's look at what Peter says, a very familiar passage of scripture. First Peter chapter five and verse eight. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he's your adversary. He wants to beat you. He wants to defeat you. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So you got this lion out there, just like a normal lion. He's just kind of walking around and, and he's roaring. He's letting everybody know he's the king. He's the boss. Stay away from his territory. And he's looking for something that's weak, something that's wounded, something that's sick, something that's isolated, that he can devour. Whom resist? This is such an important word right here, resist. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So let's talk about the lion, the lion. Lions are, you know, they're called the king of the jungle, the king of beasts. Um, they're incredibly powerful. My, my sons, you know, boys are all about the biggest and the strongest and the most lethal and the most deadly. Benjamin Judah, my youngest boy, he loves lions. A lion is his favorite thing. Uh, Micah loves the Siberian tiger because it's the biggest, baddest tiger there is, and it's stronger than any other cat. And so there's a constant uh, theological debate in our family as to which cat would win in a fight. And I explained to them, well, Siberian tigers are bigger. They're stronger. They're gigantic, but they're by themselves. And they can fight, but lions fight from the moment they're born. They're fighting for every square inch of space they get. They fight for every scrap of food. They fight each other. They kill each other. 
These are fighters. And, 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 and we're talking about the lion. How does a lion attack? A lion never attacks the biggest and the strongest. You know, that, that lion's not out there looking at the herd of water buffalo thinking, oh, there's the bull. There's the one that's out there snorting and the stuff's coming out of his nose. That's the one I want to take down to show how strong. No, they're looking at the back of the herd. They're looking at the babies. They go after newborns. Fresh believers are fresh meat for the devil. I want to tell every new believer, you're going to have to face the devil. You're going to have to face him and you're going to have to defeat him. He is coming for you. The experience that you just had in God, this powerful born again experience, he is going to challenge it. He's going to do everything he can to disable you before you ever get going. The devil, the lion goes after new babies. Who else does he go after? He goes after the wounded. You're going to get wounded. Be careful when you're wounded. Be careful when you're dealing with a wound in your spirit because the devil has got a big target on you. You are very vulnerable. He's coming for you. And, and so the lion, the way a lion hunts is through ambush. You know, you don't see the lion there and you just wait and he starts off like the cheetah. The cheetah is looking, you know, a mile away and he's looking at the gazelle and he starts trotting and then he starts running. That is not how a lion hunts. Why? Because lions do not have good stamina. They've only got about a minute of stamina. And now in that minute, they are overwhelming, deadly force. They're built to kill. They burst out of those, the grasses in the savanna with all of their might. They can reach speeds of 30, 35 miles per hour. I'm an expert on lions uh, because of YouTube, uh, National Geographic videos. They, they burst out of there and, and they, they, they come with surprise. They come with incredible speed, overwhelming force. They attack from multiple angles. They set up ambushes. But if they do not get that creature within that window, they're done. They're done. I read a statistic that said only one in 10 hunts are successful for lions. They are terrible hunters. They, they are very unsuccessful hunters. Lions can sometimes go for an entire week without eating because they're such terrible hunters. And, and so they have to capture that, that zebra. They have to capture that buffalo within that that window because their stamina is so weak. And one of the greatest revelations about the nature of how a lion hunts, I saw a video which just, man, I love nature. I love how nature works. I know God has made nature for us to get glimpses into his, uh, the supernatural realm. But I saw a lion and this lion uh, had captured a zebra and you know, sometimes they go for the throat, they go for that death bite and, and they do everything they can to get that death bite. Why? Because um, they, they only have a little bit of stamina. And so this, this lion had a hold of the zebra's nose. Like it, it, the whole muzzle was in the mouth of the lion. It was a female lion. They do most of the hunting while the, 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 the males just kind of walk the territory and roar. Lions are very, ter- very territorial. And, 
And so the, the female had it, its claws were around the neck of the zebra and the, the, the muzzle was in the mouth of the lion and it's just suffocating the zebra. And the zebra is fighting for its life and it's stomping on the lion, it can't go anywhere, it's caught, the claws are in, the teeth are sunk in, the zebra's bleeding, its eyes are wide open. And, and I don't even think it did this on purpose. I don't think the zebra is, is uh, cognizant enough to, intelligent enough to, to do this on purpose, but there was a river and the slope that the lion, the lions had attacked out of this riverbed, the slope was drawing this battle down into the water. And, and, and then the, uh, the hooves of the, of the, of the, the zebra were in, in the water and it's just kind of, can't help it because of the slope going into the water. They're just getting deeper in the water, deeper in the water. And, and the zebra's breathing and it's huffing and it's slowly being suffocated, but they're getting deeper in the water, deeper in the water until finally the lion is no longer tense. The lion is just, you can see the, 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 the four paws of the lion. They're just holding on for dear life. Its claws are in, but it's losing strength. And now the zebra is gaining strength and it's just stomping on this lion and the lion's mouth is now taken in water because they're so deep in the water. And finally, like one of the claws fell off. And when that happened, it was over, man. There was a glimmer of hope for this zebra, which have incredible stamina. It wasn't even remotely done fighting for its life. And it started stomping this thing until finally it just stomped this lion into the river took off running. There's blood coming down and you could see the marks of the battle. And that lion was covered in mud. It's just like exhausted. It climbs out of the riverbed and just plops down on the side of the river. What happened? The zebra resisted the lion long enough to where the lion lost his will to fight. Shekarahaya. What does it say? In 1 Peter 5 and 9, whom resists? Resists the lion. What is resistance? It's pressure coming from the other side. He's exerting pressure this way. You start exerting pressure that way. Now, if you don't fight, you're going to die. You will die. And that pressure can seem overwhelming. That pressure is overwhelming. It's a lion. It's someone that's, the devil has got thousands of years of murdering souls under his belt. He knows how to kill you unless you fight back, unless you resist the pressure from the devil. What, what is, what is, what, what did the writer of Hebrews say? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist, put pressure back. It's a wrestling match. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You have to wrestle the devil. If you feel pressure coming from the devil, put some pressure back. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What's that telling you? It's telling you the two dimensions of pressure. There's pressure coming from the world towards you. There's got to be pressure coming from inside of you back towards the world. Resist. And so what happens when you resist? I want to tell you, I, I want to tell you what the Holy Ghost showed me. How do you determine where you're at in the battle? Well, how tired do you feel? 
How tired are you? Are you weary with fighting the devil? I want to tell you something. The devil is putting his feelings on you. That's how he fights you. He's hopeless, so he puts hopelessness upon you. He's weary, so he puts weariness upon you. He is depressed, so he throws his depression upon you. You can tell where you are at in the battle by the feelings that are on you. If you feel exhausted fighting the devil, I want to tell you, he's more exhausted. Don't give up. He's about to lose his grip, and you're about to win. You're about to win. You have to fight the devil. David fought this lion. You know what David could have said with the lion and the bear? He could have said, oh my goodness, hey, he wants the lamb more than I do. My dad isn't out here watching. My brothers aren't out here watching. Um, I think I'll just let him take a lamb. What's one lamb? Let me tell you something. You let him take one lamb, he's going to be coming back next week. He's going to be coming back. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a Baptist missionary to a, it was an island in the Pacific that they were the first ones there to bring the Bible. They learned the language of these people. I I was fascinated flying with this man. We had like three or four hours together and and he was telling me the story of the, they, they, they spent years, like 10 years there. They translated the Bible for these people. They, they taught them about the grace of Jesus Christ and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I just kept asking questions. I was fascinated by how, how they had strategically worked this, this uh, tribe of, of people. And then towards the end of the conversation, as I was digging in, the Holy Ghost began to to work through me with this man. And eventually he began to tell me, he's like, I was addicted to pornography the whole time. I was addicted to pornography. I was dealing with pornography the whole time. And he said, but thank God for his grace because I was saved in spite of my addiction to pornography. And I, I cannot relate to you the utter surprise on this man. When I told him, I said, sir, if you are looking at pornography repeatedly, you are not saved. You are lost. Because this Jesus, when he saves you, he has the power to deliver you. And if you are making the choice to sin, You are bound by spiritual iniquity. You are bound by sin. You are bound with chains of bondage. You you need deliverance. And and he did not resist me. He didn't come back in the self-righteous thing. I don't think he had ever heard that. And, And we say, well, it's just, you know, look, I got the Holy Ghost now, but it's just one little lapse of pornography. The lion came, I couldn't resist it. It's just one little lapse where I, I cursed or I, I did something wrong or I went back to my old life. I want to tell you something. You give up one lamb, he's coming back and he's going to come back for more and he's going to come back repeatedly. He's going to realize this is, a, this is a place where I can get what I want. And David said, not one single lamb. I'm keeping my father's sheep. And he, he smote the lion. He smote the lion. So that's the second battle. The third battle 
that we will fight is the bear, the battle, the battle of the bear. And, and this battle is different. Now, it's interesting because David put these two creatures in the same sort of category. They fought together. Uh, you know, I've never seen a lion and a bear coordinate their attacks. I've never seen a lion and a bear um, uh, work together to take down a prey. It's, it's, it's something that's very unique. But, but in this, And I don't even know if David is literally describing a simultaneous attack by a lion and a bear. It could have been. But the spiritual principle here is very powerful. He said, I, I, a lion and a bear came, I smote him. I took him by his beard and I smote him. So, so we know how the lion works, right? A lion works through ambush. A lion works through overwhelming force. Bears attack differently. Bears attack differently. A bear uh, is not uh, an animal of stealth. You don't see bears crouching down in the grass. They're too big. They're too fat. They can't do it. Instead, what bears do, bears, I want to tell you about the appetite of a bear. Bears, Bears eat all the time. They eat all day, every day. They eat bugs. They eat, they're, they're omnivores. They eat bugs. In certain season, grizzly bears get like over 50% of their protein from moths. They eat grass. They eat fruit. They eat nuts. They eat animals. They eat each other. They eat everything. They'll eat trash. My wife and I had a bear, a friendly neighborhood bear. He's about 400, 500 pounds. He would come and invade our trash and and um, no matter what, I put these locks on the on the trash, and I I uh, set it up to where he could not get inside. And but they just kind of picked the, uh, the 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 things off the the plastic clips I had on there. They just kind of picked him off. He got inside and rummaged through the trash, and got whatever he wanted. And and bears bears eat all the time. They can also eat animals that are very fast. And this is stuff I've read. I've never been in Alaska and studied bears for myself, but I've read these things where bears can outrun a wolf. Lions can't outrun anything. Bears have incredible stamina. They can outrun a caribou. They can run and run. You you wouldn't picture a big old fat bear being able to run for 30 minutes straight but they can, they can wear down their prey. They are a creature that wears down their prey. I'm talking elk, moose, caribou. And so you can, if you resist a lion, you can beat the lion. If you wrestle the lion, you can beat the lion. If you try to wrestle a bear, you're going to get beat. Bears are built to wrestle. They're designed to wrestle. They're experts at wrestling. You, if you've ever seen a bear fight, it's there's a lot of teeth, there's a lot of claws, but mostly it's wrestling. They just wrestle each other, man. It's incredible. And, and if a bear can get that that caribou to stop running. If a bear can get that moose, they will put their weight on them and where they'll take them out on the water. Water was the salvation 
for um, the lion. You, when a bear wants to get that animal in the water, they just wear them down. What is the bear? The lion is the devil. The bear is the flesh. The bear is the flesh. These are private battles you will have to fight in obscurity. You're going to have to be the devil and you're going to have to conquer your flesh. Going to have to conquer your flesh. How does the flesh work? The flesh cannot be wrestled with. I've heard people say over and over, Pastor Campitella, I'm wrestling with my flesh. I'm just wrestling with this temptation. I'm wrestling. If you wrestle with your flesh, you will get beat because the flesh is always going to be there till you die. You're going to get beat. What does the Bible say? For we wrestle not against flesh. That's not just talking about human enemies. That's talking about yourself. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality. The method of conquering the flesh is different than the method of conquering the lion. When that lion comes, get ready to wrestle. But when the bear is strong, you cannot wrestle the bear. What's the way to get the lion out of the picture? The only thing that will remove a lion is a bigger lion. So you have the lion of the adversary of, of the devil. He's our adversary, the roaring lion. Then you have the lion of the tribe of Judah. You, you've got to exert Jesus on them. You, you can praise your way through that victory. You can, you can worship your way and get that victory. You can put that spiritual pressure, that Jesus pressure back on them. Uh, but, but how do you remove a bear from its territory? It doesn't matter how many bears are there. Bears can just, they kind of interact with each other. If there's a food source, they'll just come when the other bear's not there. Yeah, the, the, the bears, the bears uh, they fight for dominance, but they do not fight for territory. They all work. When you look at those rivers that are filled with salmon, there's bears everywhere. Lions would never do that. How do you get a bear to stop coming to a spot, to stop taking? You remove its food source. The only way to defeat the bear is to remove its food source. The bear, the key to defeating the flesh is overcoming appetite. Watch what Paul said. This is, this is Paul not talking about the devil. This is ta- ta- Paul talking about himself. We're spirit, soul, and body. This is Romans chapter seven. I'm gonna start with verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Is this the devil? Are you possessed with the devil, Paul? No, I find the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. There is something This stuff right here that's always with us that is contrary to the law of God. It's contrary to the spirit of God. It's for the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You, you, we got this stuff called flesh. It's contrary to God. It has an appetite, an unending appetite. I've done some fasting. I've done some prayer. I've done some worship, and you know what? Joe Capitella is still alive. This stinking DNA, I'm telling you, it's pretty resilient. It keeps on coming back. If there's any hope to be fed, it will come back. Doesn't matter how many 
extended fast I've done. It's coming back. What do you have to do? You have to constantly remove the food source of the bear to get that bear to stop coming and stealing sheep. It's an appetite battle. It's an appetite battle. Paul gave us the key in Galatians chapter five and verse 16. He said, this I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He didn't say you'll kill the flesh. You can't kill the flesh, otherwise you die. But you will not fulfill the appetite of the flesh if you walk in the spirit. Here's the principle. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, wars against it, desires something that is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires something that is against the flesh. So that, And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. And I've always looked at this. God gave me a, a word. I'm just not smart enough to come up with this. This blew my mind. He said, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Well, there's two parts here. There's the you that's the flesh, and then there's the you that's the spirit. So we obviously understand the negative connotation here, that if you walk in the flesh, your spirit cannot do the things that it would. But there's also, on the other side of this, the law applies as well. If you walk in the spirit, your flesh cannot do the things that it would. It's an appetite issue. If you walk in the flesh, your spirit cannot do what it wants to do. If you walk in the spirit, your flesh cannot do what it wants to do. That flesh wants to lust, but it can't. Why? You're in the spirit. There's nothing there. Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. That, 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 that devil... And, and the bear work together. The devil, the only power the devil has is flesh. If the devil has power, there's flesh giving him power somewhere. The flesh is the channel through which the devil accesses soul. Paul said, we are spirit, soul, and body. God accesses soul through the channel of the spirit. It's the, it's the, notice the, the, the pattern that Paul gave us. The highest part of you is spirit. Spirit, soul, and body. Soul's in the middle, body's on the bottom. Why? Because body is connected to the world. Your body has to be connected to the world. Your body is fed from what comes from the world. Spirit is fed from what comes from God. So what do we do when we fast? We disconnect the flesh from what comes from the world to feed it. And when you disconnect the flesh from what feeds it, God has channel, has access through the channel of the spirit to your soul. When the flesh is being fed by the world, Satan has access through the soul, through the channel of the flesh. And so the law is the denial of one aspect increases the power of the other. When you deny spirit, you increase the power of flesh when you deny flesh, you increase the power of the spirit. The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. He's got nothing to latch onto. The flesh is crucified. You cannot wrestle with the flesh. You got to crucify the flesh. You got to put it on the cross daily and follow Jesus. There's so much to be said. We could spend hours and hours on this. There's so much to be said here. Obscurity, the lion, the bear, first three battles. Let's talk about the fourth battle that David fought. 
and this is still in obscurity. You will still fight these battles and nobody's going to know your name. You're not, these are not public battles. These are private battles. First Samuel 17, 26, and David spake to the men that stood by him saying, now this is, this is after David had gone out to the battle. His father sent him there to feed his brethren. And Goliath comes up, Goliath screaming, send me a man. And, and David is a warrior. He's ready to fight. What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Where did he get this? Oh, where did he get this warrior spirit from? From being in obscurity and fighting lions and bears. Let me tell you what will give you authority like nothing else in public when you defeat the lion and the bear in private. Because the greatest dominion is dominion over your private life. When you have power in private, you'll have authority in public. My God. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David wasn't afraid of this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God. The people answered him after this matter saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Saul's gonna give you Michaela's daughter. He's gonna, she, she must've been a beautiful girl. You can marry this beautiful girl if you beat Goliath. Watch this, verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, now why would, why would Eliab's anger be kindled against his little brother wanting to fight the giant? You know why? Eliab was the big boy and he wouldn't fight the giant. Eliab was the strong one. He's the firstborn of the family. He wouldn't fight the giant. And so he's getting ticked at his little brother who will fight the giant. Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I want you to see this. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? I want you to notice what's happening here. The fourth battle that you will fight as you walk with the Lord and move forward with the Lord is the battle of your own brother. It's the battle of the people who really know you, who know the you that's in their mind of how you should be acting. Eliab said, why camest thou down hither? Now, now, who sent David there? His dad, he was on a mission from his father. That's the only reason why he was on the battlefield. And, and while he was on a mission from his father, he came face to face with Goliath. Now, this was a divine setup. This was a divine appointment. I wanna say something here. Before you ever fight Goliath, what is Goliath? Goliath represents the strong man, literally. He's the strong man. He's the one that you got to get through if Israel's going to go to the next level. He's the one hindering the, the will of God in Israel. Before you ever fight the strong man, you will have to learn to fight the devil in private and overcome your flesh in private and deal with obscurity properly. You don't get to choose to fight the strong man. There's, there's kind of a, a doctrine among kind of new new spiritual church people 
that you can enter warfare. Now it's time to go into warfare. We just, we praise God and, and we fasted. Now let's go into warfare. Okay, let's all do it now. Warfare. I want to tell you something. You don't choose to go into warfare. It's not something you can access according to your own will. You can go fight. I'm not saying you can't go fight. I'm just saying you can't win. You can go fight as many devils as you want to. You can literally engage the devil. You just won't win unless God has appointed that battle. And I've talked to people. They're so wore out. My God, they're fighting devils. I saw a devil come into my dream. I saw a devil come into my house. I saw a devil. There's a devil there, a devil there, and there's a devil everywhere. There's devils. Yeah, there's devils. You're not supposed to fight those devils. You're not supposed to fight every devil that manifests and every devil that you see and every devil that's speaking and every devil. Hey, you are not supposed to fight them. You're only supposed to fight the devil that Jesus wants you to fight when Jesus says to fight, the way that Jesus says to fight. Look at, look at David. David learned when the Philistines came, he said, Lord, should I go up? He said, absolutely, go up, go fight. Should I even go fight him? Was his first question. Yeah, go fight him. How should we go up? Go, go against them and come around about them and you'll, you'll have the dominion. Got the victory. Next time, Philistines came. Lord, should we go up? Absolutely go up. Should we do the same thing? No, this time wait till you hear the, the wind blowing through the mulberry trees. When you hear the sound of a marching in the mulberry trees, that's the moment you're gonna go. Well, there's the enemy. Can't we just go fight them like we ought? No, you have to do it when God says to and how God says to. David, if you go to the camp of the Philistines and try to fight Goliath on your own terms, you will die. And everybody will say, wow, what a great warrior he was. He tried, no, you didn't do God's will. So God has to be the one that initiates the battle with the strong man, the battle with the giant. What's the fourth battle? It's the battle with the brother. And so before David gets to fight the giant, he has to fight his brother. The people that know you, the people that refuse to go to the next level, but are mocking you for going to the next level. The people that refuse to take the next step, but they're trying to hold you back from taking the next step. And the thing that they use to attack you are your motives. We know your real motives here. Uh, you know, who, who are you? Why, why are you even here? God sent me here. Who hast thou left those few sheep? It wasn't a few sheep. This is the carnal brother trying to diminish what God had put in David's hands. It wasn't a few sheep. It was a flock of sheep. It wasn't a wilderness. It was, it was his father's pasture. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. Is it possible that David had pride? Yeah, most likely if he was human. Is it possible that David ever had naughtiness of heart? I'm quite sure he probably did if he was human. So what's the role of the brother? The role of the brother, of a real brother, is to help someone overtaken in a fault, not use it as a weight that's keeping them grounded in bondage forever. I know the real you. I know the struggles you have. But this brother of the flesh tried to keep David from taking the next step in his walk with God and his destiny. And it's interesting, we don't have time to get into this, but as soon as David overcame the brother of the flesh, the next thing he saw was the brother of the spirit that God had been hiding behind a curtain because he walked into the tent of Saul and Jonathan 
was revealed from behind the curtain. When you overcome the voices of the carnality around you and keep your focus on the mission, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? I'm on a mission from God. When you keep your focus on the voice of God and the purpose of God, God will loose you from the power of the carnal brother and connect you to the benefits of the spiritual brother. Praise God. Praise God. The next battle David fought is the battle of the giant. And I want to tell you something. This to me is the easiest battle David ever fought. It's the most dramatic, right? It's the one that everybody talks about. It's the one that everybody has painted pictures about. It's the one that we teach Sunday school. It's the most dramatic battle. David and Goliath. It's, it's as old and as known as any, any story in scripture. David took five stones and, and Goliath is mocking him. Who's, you sending me a little boy? You sending me a dog? Who am I? I'm a mighty warrior. And David said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. And today you're going down. Whips the sling, sling, sends that rock, that rock goes into the head of the giant. There's so many messages and there's so many revelations about this. I want to tell you something. This is the easiest battle David ever fought. He didn't get a scratch. He, he didn't even, he didn't even, probably didn't break much of a sweat. This is the easiest battle David ever fought. Here's what I want to tell you. Everyone that goes through these other battles. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get to a pulpit. I'm not saying that you're going to be a world-known uh, YouTube preacher. I'm not saying you're going to go do anything. I'm saying God will use you to fight battles that affect nations and affect public situations if you can pass the first four tests. Obscurity, the lion, the bear, the brother. God will initiate, whether you like it or not, whether you're planning on it or not, God will initiate battles with strong men in the spirit. When Goliath manifests himself, when the devil, when the strong man manifests himself, he is at his weakest moment because you have a target. You know how hard it was for David to miss Goliath with that stone? That dude had a big old head and he's running straight towards David. You want to know God, I guarantee you that was harder than the bear, harder than the lion. Probably more emotionally taxing was the battle with the brother. And, and this is how it is. When you face the strong man, it's, it's the easiest battle you're gonna face. I wanna say a quick thank you and God bless you to everyone that's watching Christian Live Broadcast. Thank you for spending your time. It's our prayer that is, this is a tremendous blessing to you. Don't forget to like and subscribe and leave your comments. We would love to respond to those and do sessions on the questions that you have, the topics that you want to discuss. We are breaking this session because I'm long-winded into two segments and we will talk about uh, the two segments are the private battles versus the public battles. And so uh, we just wanted to let you know what was happening with this session. But again, thank you for watching. We hope it's a blessing to you always in Jesus' name.